Hello, how are you guys doing? Doing okay? It's cool. I like the, thanks, youth. What's up? That was awesome. Do you realize before you were ever born, before you ever did anything right or wrong, God called you and chose you? Before you were in your mother's womb, before you had done right and wrong, God called you, called you and chose you. Isn't it amazing? An amazing thought. I'm Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to share a story with you. Charles Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers. Try living up to that. I don't know if it was in his time, but man, that's pressure. But he preached in the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon. And he tells the story of a woman he met. There was an impoverished old lady who was dying. As he sat next to her in the cramped confines of her dilapidated home, a single frame hung on her wall caught his attention. Instead of a picture, the frame held a yellowed piece of paper, old, with some writing on it. He asked the lady about the piece of paper, and she replied, Well, I can't read, so I don't know what it says. But a long time ago, I used to work for a very wealthy man who had no family. Just before he died, he gave me this piece of paper, and I've kept it in remembrance of him for the past 40 to 50 years now. Spurgeon looked closer at the frame's contents, hesitated for a moment, then said, Do you know this is actually the will and testament of that man? It names you as the sole beneficiary of all his wealth and property. You see, for close to 50 years, that lady had lived in abject poverty, working day and night to eke out a meager existence for herself. Yet all that time, she was actually the owner of a sprawling estate and inviolable riches. However, her own ignorance had utterly robbed her. It's a sad story. But so often the same tragedy is played out in the life of believers who do not realize the spiritual riches of grace that they have in Christ Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross to give them. Ephesians says that we have, we have the riches of grace, yet we often walk in spiritual poverty, a totally different reality than the one Jesus died to give us. Why? Most of us, without realizing, live like this. I'm saved by grace through faith, but perfected through the flesh or the law. Now, theologically, we know it's about grace, and it will always be about grace, but practically speaking, there's something when each one of us, we can't get past the feeling that the Christian life is about being perfect and living up to the same standards as each other, or whatever standard we have. Maybe some of these key words might describe your life right now. Striving, performance, pride, fear, insecurity, anxiety. Those are all too familiar words and feelings we have. We think, well, great, he saved me, now I can't mess it up. And if you're really good with self-deception, we can think on our good days, I'm making it. But on our bad days, I don't know. So we dig in and say, okay, I'll try harder. I'll watch less TV. I'll obey better. Because in the back of the head, you're thinking this. Well, if he loves me, if he loves me, he certainly doesn't like me. And if sometimes he likes me, well, he certainly doesn't accept me most of the time. Or if you're really caught in the performance trap, he likes me a little bit better than Sally or Joe. Have you seen their sins? 
At least I'm not like that. And the facade of having it all together goes up and the spiritual poverty takes hold and we never tap into the riches of grace. You see, for many, we define grace like this. We're on these danger river rapids headed towards the waterfall of hell without any oars. But then Jesus came and gave me some oars called grace. And now while I'm being sucked into hell, but hey, at least grace gave me some oars. And I'm paddling with those oars with all my might. And I'm sweating and I'm striving. So hopefully I'll make it. Yet all the while, I'm still headed towards hell. But hopefully, through my efforts, I'll change. I'll do enough to keep from going down to falls into hell. You see, that's salvation for many. But here's the truth. He didn't throw down a couple oars called grace to you and say, I hope you make it. Jesus saved you and put you on a whole different river with a whole different boat and a Holy Spirit, I like to call it like this, a Holy Spirit-empowered jet-propelled motor with a new trajectory towards heaven. Or you ladies might like a romantic gondola. But my point is, is he puts you on a new river, a new reality. It's the gospel of grace. It's the covenant of grace. Let me show you. Listen to this in John 1, starting with verse 14. It says the word, Jesus, became flesh. He became human and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16. Out of his fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. This is the most wonderful verse right there. It means grace upon grace. It means that if grace could be depleted, which it can't, God's already putting more back in and then he's putting stuff on top. It'll never run dry. That's good news. For the law was given. This is what I want you to hear. Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Moses' law. Law Moses. Moses and the law. And contrast it with this. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see in verse 17 we find that it says through Moses came the law. But through Jesus came grace and truth. Now, I've preached on this many times in the past, and usually this is what I've said, I've been guilty of it, and other pastors who've been guilty of saying this. Isn't grace amazing? But don't forget truth. And we define truth that it means law. Like, it's sort of sugar-coated, like, it's sort of like law in secret. It's like espionage or something, like it's, what's really law? We call it truth, but it's really law. And we use that word truth to say, hey, grace is great, but watch out, because it's got to be balanced with truth. Like grace is some wild animal that we can't let out of control, because once it gets out of control, it's going to eat us alive. And the thing to control that wild grace is truth. Truth wears the badge in this relationship and will be the law and order just in case grace gets too wild. So don't get too excited about grace because the sheriff is still in town. But here's the problem with that. In the Greek, there is no and between grace and truth. We put that there for English readers. There's nothing wrong with that. It's great. So it should really read grace, truth, but that sounds a little funny. Not grace and truth, like there were two separate thoughts. That's the problem with that. It sounds like they're opposed to each other, grace and truth, or they balance each other. But in the Greek, as in many languages, there's several words for truth. It's, it's our English speakers that we have like one word for truth, and it has to mean everything, versus in other languages they have different words. This is the Greek word, elethinos. And it's not speaking of a law kind of truth with check boxes, 
or judgment or justice, but is the word for reality, a truth, reality, real. It's connected with grace. It should read this, grace, reality, or grace, truth, reality. We don't have the words to just make it blow up into what it really means, how exciting it is. Jesus is and introduces us to the grace reality apart from Moses' law reality. And here's what's awesome. In the book of Titus, it's a little-known book called Titus, it says this. It says, grace has appeared. It's referring to Jesus. Grace is a person, not some stiff theological notion that's not applicable to my daily struggles. It's a relationship. He is grace, the complete personification of grace. And when we abide in him, you're just a branch. I'm just a branch. When we abide in the vine who is Jesus, we abide in that grace reality. And here's the deal. It's wild. So wild, the flesh will always try to get you back into the flesh reality, the law of sin and death reality, the spiritual poverty, the spiritual chains reality. You see, this grace reality is so awesome that Paul was accused of giving people a license to sin. He's like, where sin increases, grace increases more. And they're like, Paul, whoa, 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 wait. When you preach that, you promote sin. You've got to control the people. And they're like, grace will cause people to sin. He's like, no. Because when you know the personification of grace, when you know Jesus, you change and you step into the grace reality. No more sin and law reality based on performing to be pleasing. No more striving to be made right. You are right. But a grace reality with a new identity in Christ, a spirit-filled reality completely resting on the finished work of Jesus. So there's two realities you can choose from, the law reality or the grace reality. What are you living in, the grace reality or the law reality? See, the law reality is what many Christians are walking in. For many of you, the Christian life is about rules and regulations and check boxes and keeping score while you're hiding secret sins. If I'm good enough, he loves me. If I'm not good enough, he loves me not. See, that's a wishy-washy God. And that's who many of you serve. You serve a wishy-washy God, not the God of the Bible. And because of that, you have a wishy-washy salvation. And if you're not careful, the gospel of grace becomes one of works centered not on what God has done for us, but what we are doing for him, our own righteousness, not based on faith. You see, we're very confused about church, in church, about law and grace in the church. We can't get it right in the church. We think it's grace and then it's law. Keep them under control. Watch out for that grace stuff. Listen to what Romans 6.14 says. Sin is no longer your master. You are not under the law anymore. You are under grace. You're under grace. See, all of us know we're the bride of Christ. In Revelation, he says we are the lamb's bride. In other words, Jesus is our husband. He's our bridegroom. But did you know that you were married before? And not to Satan. And some of you are like, well, you didn't know my, my last person that I'm married to. Okay, none of that, all right? No ribbon in the middle of this thing. No, I don't mean in the natural. You were married before. Before you were married to Jesus, Romans 7 says you were married to the law. You were married to the law. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 7. 
Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. And you're like, what does this have to do with me? Hold it, hang in there, all right? So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she is married another man. Now, here's where he's going to sum it up. Okay, he's talking about something in the natural. He's talking about the law, okay? This is the law. But he's going to bring it to spiritual. Listen to this. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Did you guys catch that? If not, hang on. See, in the natural, right, it's death to his part. You hear preachers say that? In the same way, you are married to the law, but now you've died to the law so that you can now be married to another, and that's to Jesus. Paul puts it this way. You have a new husband, Jesus. You are married to the law. So to be released from that marriage, listen to this, so to be released from that marriage, you have to die. So you died with Christ so that you could belong to another. Remember the scriptures? I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. The life I live, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Or remember when pastors are baptizing, And they talk about buried with Jesus in his death, raised to walk in newness of life. That's what it's talking about right here. But here's the deal. You have a new husband, but let's talk about that old husband. Let's talk about the law for just a second. Well, he was not a very good husband. He was an overbearing, fault-finding husband, always telling you what you did wrong, and you can never please him, and he would never lift a hand to help you. He always reminds you of the behavior and standards of conduct that you have to have to have right standing with him in the marriage. And he is cold and rigid. So from that, what kind of husband do you think the law is? Kind? Gracious? Sweet? Merciful? No. The law points out what you did right and what you did wrong. And more often than not, it points out that you did wrong. Please don't nudge somebody while you're sitting there okay, during the sermon, but wouldn't you say that in our marriages, we tend to be like that? Wives and husbands, we all tend to be like that, don't we? The law is an overbearing, fault-finding, critical, judgmental husband, and it's always right. And Jesus said this, the eternal law in Matthew will never pass away. In Hebrews, it says the covenant of law is fading and will pass away, but the eternal law cannot die. It'll always be there. So God comes up with a brilliant plan. The law is not going to die, but you can. You can die to self. You can die to your own way. And if you die, you'll experience Jesus. The scripture said, but we died with Christ and we're raised to walk in a new way. Look, the law is not bad, but Paul is very clear that it's not for believers. We have fulfilled the law in Christ. He's very clear about this. So even though the law is not bad, there's someone in your life that is bad. It's Satan. And his job is to accuse the believers. And you know what he uses? The law. Galatians 3, Paul is challenging a church that wants grace plus works or plus law. They were saying grace plus human effort equals salvation. Let me say it again. Grace plus human effort equals salvation. And Paul calls it what it is, 
heresy because you're adding to the cross. And when you do that, you reduce Christianity to every other religion. But Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Every religion in the world teaches works. You've got to do something to be right with God. But in Christianity, it's about what he did, not what I do. So Paul says this. He says, Oh foolish TBA, or Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did you work your booty off? Just going to be real. Or did you believe Jesus and what he did? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, the Spirit of life and freedom in Christ Jesus, are you now being made perfect by the flesh, trying to gain your goal by human effort, performance, or self-effort. Well, why do we do this? Because we all do this, right? We all fall in this trap in some way. The problem is we were married so long to the law that it's hard to get used to our new husband. In fact, the flesh and spirit are always in a wrestling match. And your flesh will never want anything to do with Jesus. Some people are like, you've got to disciple the flesh. Paul says you need to beat it in submission. It will never want the life that Jesus has for you. This is what it's like. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying you're trying to please your new husband by keeping a good relationship with your old husband. Now try that in the natural, you who have been married before, and see how that works out for you. You think that's going to work? Can you imagine that? Baby, guess what? I've been going over to my old husband's house and serving him and doing things for him. And is this making our relationship better, Jesus? And we get wrapped up in bondage because the flesh is about slavery. It's because we fear freedom. We fear the freedom our new husband can give us if we were really truthful. But now you're married to Jesus who says, let me help you with that. Let me help you see yourself as the Father sees you. Let me carry you. Let me break the power of sin in your life. And he leads you with meekness, which is strength under control, where there is freedom from striving, and you can bear good fruit. You can do good works through the Spirit of God. You see, under grace, you don't have to question if you're accepted. But under law, you will always question because you can never be perfect. Jesus said, abide in me. The true mark of a disciple is freedom, life abundant. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. But many of you go back to your old husband and in bondage, and in spiritual poverty, just like the woman in the Spurgeon story, where you get trapped into earning it. Basically, what you've done is gone to live at your old husband's house, a house of perfection you cannot keep. You're trying to impress your new husband by having a great relationship with your old husband, and Jesus is not impressed. Jesus won't share his bride with anybody. Stop going to the law and start living with Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. You died with him so that you could be free from the tyranny of your flesh, stirred by the law, who is an impossible husband to please. Law and grace don't mix. Choose your husband, TBA. You see, you can be married to a person or you can be married to a list. Let me put it this way. You were saved for relationship, not religion. If you want to be married to a list, you're going to be miserable. It may work out for a while. You may impress people with your busyness. 
how you're serving at the church, your financial acumen, your spiritual gifts, and your long prayers, your Bible reading methods, your good deeds, and your blessed talents, but it will come crashing down if it's in your own strength. Your own strength will give out, and here's what happens when that resentment. You resent yourself, you resent others, and you resent God. In other words, no one is good enough, you're not good enough, and then you accuse God of not being good enough. You see, the change you so desperately want will never come through the law. Think about, okay, for believers, think about your personal testimony. You may be struggling today. Like, I don't know what husband I'm under right now. But think about your personal testimony. For you who maybe stole something or think of any sin, why did you stop stealing? Was it because you read the law? Man, the law just changed me. Is that your testimony? No, it was amazing grace, not the law. You never heard, man, the, the law told me not to covet, and I'm healed. The law told me not to covet, and I'm healed. I didn't even notice that you bought that Porsche. Covet, Porsche, damn mom. No, it was undeserved, unmerited grace and favor, and it still is. It was the cross, not the law that made you want to do right, that empowered you, that broke the strongholds in your life. It was because you gave your life to Jesus and he gave you the power to overcome. Look, I simply believed and came into a relationship with Jesus and I'm on a journey, but I'm on that journey with Jesus. And he changes my desires and he's changing my desires. And when I'm close to him, I take on the desires of Christ. Here's the deal, listen to this. Love is the greatest restraint from sin, not law. Law is about duty. Jesus is about love. You see, Jesus isn't saying, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you because it's the right thing to do and it's my duty. I have to do it. No. Jesus is saying, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you because I love you and you are mine and I purchased you and you said yes and you're in my hands and when you're in my hands, the Father has his hands around you. That changes you. We are governed by something higher than the written code of law. It's love. The law can't love. It's impersonal, loveless, and impotent. It can't give you the power to change or produce fruit, but Jesus can. I'm talking about love as defined in the Bible, not this wishy-washy junk in the world that tries to redefine love. I'm talking biblical love. I'm talking the cross. It's the strongest governing force in the world. If you fall in love with Jesus, you will want to live a righteous life. Will you struggle? Yes, You'll want to live a holy life. Will that be all the time? No, but you're on a journey. You'll want to serve him because it's a relationship. See, Brian brought up the prodigal son. You have only a couple choices. Rebellion, religion, or relationship. So how do we tap into the grace reality? How do we stay under our new husband? Well, Jesus said, you're just a branch. That he's the vine, you are the branches. He said, abide in him, don't strive. Remain, don't maintain. Rest, don't earn. Receive, don't perform. And he said this when they asked, what works must we do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, believe in me. Believe. You want fruit in your life? You want good works in your life? Abide in the vine. And that flow coming from the deep roots that Jesus has in the Father will come into the branch and you'll bear fruit in obedience. See, how do you know which husband you're under? How do you know which husband you're under? Under the law, you'll either be prideful or insecure. Under Jesus, you'll be confident and secure. And really, 
prideful people are also insecure, and insecure people are prideful. But under Jesus, you'll be confident and secure. How do we keep ourselves from pride and insecurity? Go back to when he first found you. Man, if you're like me, when he first found me, I was disgusting. This heart was dark. I was in bondage. I'd done drugs. I'd run out. I was a hippie. I had no future. I had no plans. There was nothing about me. And Jesus found me. And he put his arms around me. It's sort of like this. Think of the person you least want to spend time with right now. And I know just the way human nature is, you're probably like, boom, I got it. Now think of that person a thousand times worse than they are. And that's what you looked like to Jesus. Yet, in your dirty, filthy rags, he took his arms and said, I love you. You're mine. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to clean you up. I've got life for you. Go back and remember when he first found you. You see, and listen, listen, listen to this. Maybe I'm preaching to myself. This is just me, but listen. You see, to turn from pride and insecurity, it takes admitting to weakness, to bend a knee to God and admit we need help. That's not our default, right? But Jesus said his grace is sufficient, that his power is made perfect in weakness. His grace is sufficient. In other words, we step into the grace reality when we bend a knee to Almighty. God gives grace to the humble, it says. Where are you at? You see, when it, it comes to the end of ourselves, grace can begin. But so many of us, we can't do that. We can't bend. In the Hebrew language, grace and favor are the same word. If you have Christ, you have favor and you will never lose it. But just because you have grace and favor, it doesn't mean you're walking in it. Many Christians have grace and favor, but many Christians don't look like grace because they don't walk in the favor they have. They're defeated and conquered, and Jesus didn't die for you to stay in bondage. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We have to learn to walk in grace, or as the Bible says, grow in grace. Here's how you grow in grace, and you're not going to like it, because I don't like it. You will be tested, so the character of God will match the favor of God in your life. We walk in grace as we surrender to his will and surrender self. Brokenness and weakness releases grace into our lives. Grace flows into weakness and brokenness. When we come to an end of ourselves, then God can begin. Then grace can begin. Then his life can come. Then we're abiding in the vine. You see, just because you have favor doesn't mean you won't have problems. Let me say that again. Just because you have favor and grace doesn't mean you have problems. That's called favoritism. Favor and favoritism are totally different. And here's the other bad news. This often happens through circumstances in our lives. A quick example in the Bible is Joseph, Jacob's son, one of the 12 sons who was sold into slavery by his brothers and eventually became second in command to Egypt. He saved the world from famine. But when he was little, he was wrapped up in favoritism. See, he had God's favor. And he also had the favoritism of his earthly dad. Jacob made him a coat of many colors, which for us is a symbol of the grace and favor we have in Christ. Joseph had it so much so, he didn't have to work like his brothers. 
He was by his father's side. Did you hear it? He was by his father's side. And his brothers who represent the flesh or law were jealous. They worked for favor and they couldn't earn it. But Joseph had character issues. Even his father was taken aback by Joseph's dream of ruling over them, and rightly so. But here's the deal. Joseph had the favor, but he didn't have the character. He was arrogant. And God used all the challenges and circumstances to grow Joseph in grace. By the end, his character matched his favor. He didn't need some outward coat. He wore it inwardly in his heart, in his attitude. He was a man of grace, but he went through incredible difficulties. Favor doesn't mean favoritism. So many times we get into circumstances, well, God doesn't love me, I don't got grace and favor, and we walk away from God. You see, don't base whether or not you have grace and favor on circumstances. And this is my, my point. Listen up. You, if you're a believer, if you gave your life to Jesus, it says when you believed, you passed from darkness to life. He gave you eternal life. If that's you, you have grace and favor. But just like Joseph, you're going to face incredible moments, incredible refining moments in life. Let me just mention a few of Joseph so you can relate. The pit of death and despair and depression. Abandonment the battle for sexual purity and temptation, wealth and power, slavery, imprisonment, dark times, injustice, and on and on. Joseph experienced those in his life, but Joseph always had the grace and favor in every circumstance. He didn't have to earn it. He had it, and he learned to walk humbly and grow in grace through weakness and brokenness. By the end, he could say what they meant for evil, God meant for good. He was humble, meek, and powerful, forgiving. Joseph grew in the grace he had. Even though he didn't have the character to begin with, he never lost his favor. In the beginning, he had the outward sign of favoritism. He had to let it go to receive true favor and grace. So why aren't we under grace? Because our lives are full of self, not the one who is grace, Jesus. Under our new husband as the bride of Christ, we must release self People, we are full of self. And you wonder, I don't know what husband I'm under. I'm under the old husband. It's because you haven't come to the end of yourself to let Jesus begin to flood your life with grace and love. You must release self. Paul says this, For I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Not I, but Christ lives within me. The life I live, I now live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could come from the law, then Jesus died on the cross for nothing. Do not set aside the grace of God. Hold and cling to your new husband in Jesus. When we come to an end of ourselves, grace can begin. Will you bend a knee? What husband are you under? You can be married to a cold, loveless husband or to Jesus who says, when you open your eyes in the morning, I flood mercies and grace upon you every day. You always have access to me at any time, at any moment. I can't wait to look at you. I want to be with you. I'm in love with you. I don't want anybody else in the world but you. I will never abandon or forsake you. You're mine. Which husband do you want to be under? Under law or under grace? What reality are you living under, law or grace? 
Do you want to be fruitful for Christ? Abide, and you'll be from fruitful. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for this time. I thank you that you are our Savior. You're the wonderful one. You're enthroned on the praises of a thousand generations. You are awesome and holy, and you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you sat down after you ascended at the right hand of majesty. You are I am, and I praise you, God. And God, I pray you would open hearts and eyes today to see what reality we're living under, God, that we can't earn it, that we can never be good enough, but that you earned it on the cross. You were sinless, the spotless lamb of God. You are the risen lamb of God. And for eternity, we'll be with you if we say yes to you. Father, I pray for those who don't know you today, those who are under condemnation. You said for those in Christ Jesus, there is no longer condemnation, but anyone not under grace, not anyone, anyone not under Jesus are already condemned for not believing. And I pray today that those who do not believe will believe in you, Jesus, and call on the name of Jesus and be saved as you say in your word, Father. God, I pray for the, the ones who are believers and they're locked into law. They're locked into earning it. They're locked into performing. They're locked into to looking good in front of others, God. That they would see that you love them. That grace would just get into their hearts and their minds and flood them. God, that they would know that they can't even come to an end to themselves. We're so dependent on you even for that, God. That we'd humbly submit ourselves that we bend a knee to our God. You give grace to the humble. God, give grace right now. Pour out your grace, God. Pour out your grace upon your people. Holy Spirit, come and convict. God, I pray Paul's prayer. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts, God. May our spirit roll over our soul and our bodies. That born-again spirit. Father, we need you in this place. And I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.